Rachel. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 274. Let me just tell y'all what just fucking happened. Straight out the gate, drama. I stop at this pharmacy to get some cortisone cream. I go in, takes me a minute. I don't normally go to this place, so I'm like, can you just point me to the cortisone cream? As I'm walking out of the pharmacy, I see something fall from like my tailpipe area. Because I had left my car cranked and my phone in it because, you know, living on the wild side. And she doesn't have a true crime podcast or anything. It was only going to be a minute and... That's what they say. I know, but it was like, it was going to be fine. She's literally had her car broken into. Okay. <laughs> so I'm walking in my car and I see something drop from like my tailpipe area. As I'm like processing what I'm seeing, I hear somebody behind me go, Ew! Y'all, it was a fucking rat (laughs) fell from my tailpipe (laughs) so fucking gross this thing was huge (laughs) that motherfucker scurried off and i didn't have my phone so i couldn't take a picture of it to be like look what just fell out of my car (laughs) could you imagine because i had to go to our other or like sister location like an hour away this afternoon that's where it came from had to have been because i like back up to that little like sewer thing that pennywise lives in (laughs) And so it had to have scurried out of the pits of hell from there yeah. and climbed up in my tailpipe. Could you imagine if I'm rolling down the fucking interstate <laughs> and that bitch came in my car? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Y'all, when I processed what I saw and that somebody behind me said, ooh, because it was like, God, I saw no one. And then she just appeared. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. did you see that? And she was like, yes. I was like, was that a, was that a mouse? Like a rat? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, it had to be a rat. That thing was huge. Oh, God. I'm never going to be the same. Could you imagine if I had not stopped there? Well, we ended up going to dinner right after that. But like, if I had come to my house and pulled in the garage and closed the garage door Mm -mm. and that thing came out? No, because it would have come out when I'm leaving and I would have hurt myself trying to get over it. Oh, God. I have the internal heebie-jeebies right now. Yeah. I am never going to be the same. Well, speaking of animals, a lot of people were knowledgeable about bison and buffalo. Yeah, we missed that day of school, I think. (laughs) And the, what did Colby say? A beefalo. A beefalo? It's like a cow and a buffalo had a baby? Eats a boy? (laughs) But, okay, here's the thing. Thank y'all for everyone who emailed, who was on the Facebook group telling us, showing us. You can totally see the difference between the two. Uh Here's my thing. Someone made a buffalo slot machine with bison. How many people checked this off and said, yeah, 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 that's good. It's no, I can no longer play that slot machine because I'm going to say, well, I can't play that slot machine anyway because it takes some money every time, but continue. Wait, you're so right (laughs) because buffalo are ugly. Yes. Bison are way cuter. Buffalo look like they were in the Wild West and had a gunfight. It almost looks like a bison and a ram had a baby. Yes. If you have no idea what we're talking about, we brought this up last episode. We didn't know if they were extinct or not. Apparently, what we thought were buffalo the entire time has been bison. And I'm just saying that someone had made a lot of money making a slot machine called Buffalo, where they're like, Buffalo, and it's bison. The glass is shattered. You're so right. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. It makes me second guess everything. Are, is on Wolf Run, are they really wolves? <laughs> <laughs> it really is like huskies. <laughs> Meanwhile, people who don't gamble are like, what the fuck are they talking about? What's a slot machine? <laughs> 
another thing to follow up on. Oh, God. This was Sinister Sightings, and we talked about me telling my dermatologist I hear birds sometimes. Yes. Wait, you had a dermatology appointment. Did I you did. ask him? I did. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> someone posted in the Facebook group, and they're like, oh, my God, y'all kill me. And I was like, I have an appointment with him soon. Like, I need to ask him. And they were like, do it. You know me. I'll do it. Fucking her mama made over. <laughs> Patty Jr. over here. <laughs> So I say, do you remember? And so I tell him and he's like, I honestly don't. He was like, but you do say a lot of stuff. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And he said, as long as it's not voices, we're good. Yeah. And he was like, and if you're hearing birds, but your skin's better, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Me, him, and the nurse were all cracking up. And I was like, because you know I tell you everything. Also, next month I'm getting an IUD. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, not not the organ that I work with, but okay. <laughs> but he, he was like, no, I need to know this because he said people who get the IUD sometimes will itch from it because of the progesterone or however, mm. whatever. But I was like, I've been on the shot, so I think I'll be okay. Yeah. But he was like, if you start to itch even a little bit, come to me. So again, how he said, like, you need to tell them everything because you might not think the vagina is connected to your skin hence why she told him well i do hear (laughs) birds sometimes okay so you know how donna and i love tiktok well i stumbled on an account that is like my childhood collided into making this account so do y'all remember lori beth from all that she was the extra large pizza on there that like always played like the teacher and the Mm -hmm. mom and all that Loved her. Loved that she was an extra large pizza on TV in the 90s. Like, I'm like, if she can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. Like, she was like, you looked up to her, right? Well, she has a TikTok with her husband. And y'all, she married Pete from Pete and Pete. Can I just say that Carrie had no idea who he was? Even though she knew Pete, but she was like, I think he was on all that. I'm like, that's Pete from Pete and Pete. And I was like, oh my God. And then she was like, oh, wait, are they married? (laughs) Yeah, it took me a minute. But the point is, is that I was super excited. Do I know their TikTok name? No. But has it given me joy? Yes. Yeah, it is really cute. But I think it's so cool. Like, they met, fell in love. And like, if they weren't both on Nickelodeon shows, they would have never, ever in a million years met. Right. So it's crazy, like, how life works like that. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of marriage, uh, last, whatever, I don't know what in the time of recording this is but we had our anniversary and so we did the whole shebang like we used our champagne glasses from the wedding we grilled out some steaks at the wedding we were given a box that was like locked with like notes and stuff that people wrote to us and then we had written each other a note the night before the wedding which I completely forgot it like we both forgot about it so we read all of those our gifts for each other because we were like let's do the traditional like paper gift and I think I told y'all I was thinking about maybe getting him golf lessons and you know like here's a paper gift certificate but um, we ended up scratching all the things and all we did was write vows slash a letter to each other Meanwhile, we didn't remember that we had already done that the night before the wedding. And our letters were basically the exact same. He's like, well, at least we haven't changed in a year. We were eating our cake topper. And Colby did such a good job because he like Googled how to save it. So he had it in saran wrap, tinfoil, and it was like in a cake Tupperware thing that's probably older than I am. The only thing we didn't do is we didn't take it out and defrost it. Like it had been in the freezer and I was like, oh, we should have done that. But I didn't think of it because I was like, it'll probably be gross if it defrosts, but it was like frozen. So we just ate a little bit. I ate way more than him. While we're eating it, I was like, this really isn't bad. This is actually, other than it's frozen, still pretty good. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I'd rather fresh. I was like, duh, 
Who wouldn't? Like, he was so dead serious. Like, I mean, I'd rather fresh. I was like, who wouldn't rather fresh? <laughs> who wants a frozen cake? Yeah. Well, you do. I mean, I, I eat any cake. I was like, I died laughing because, I mean, I'd, I'd rather fresh. <laughs> like, he's so kind that he was like, yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, I'd rather fresh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a had to be there moment, but I thought it was so funny. Also, after a year, y'all are still not on the same page. No, he didn't understand anything I was saying at dinner. <laughs> well, he didn't understand that either. True. <laughs> this is why we can't play games. Mm-mm. This is why we can't play guessing games. I want to be the couple in Four Christmases. I want to be the brother and the sister-in-law. And we're, what's his name? Vince Vaughn and fucking Reese Witherspoon. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's like classic Vince Vaughn where he's like Vince Vaughn playing Vince Vaughn, you know? (laughs) Speaking of shows, thank y'all for y'all's recommendations. And I always feel so bad because I'm like, seen it, seen it, seen it, loved it, seen it. But I was on Hulu just kind of browsing and I saw this one and it's called Cardinal and it's a crime show and it's like, I think it's like four seasons or something. I don't know why it's expiring, but it says expiring in like seven days. You know how they do on Hulu. And I don't really know if it actually expires or... I think it does. It's just making me like, I need to watch it now before it expires. I started, I'm on the second season and it has Billy Campbell in it, who was the bad guy on Enough. Ooh. And he breathes the same way in this. You know, like how he would Is do... Is he like, a good guy on this He's show? a good guy. Oh, see, I couldn't watch it then. But he's like one of those kind of damaged people, you mm-hmm. know, so it, it fits him. But he does that deep breathe like yes. he would. And I'm like, ooh, you hurt Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Which also to me is like, ooh, you hurt Selena. Yes. But it is good. So if y'all have Hulu, uh, it expires soon. <laughs> but Still like in like three days. <laughs> When y'all are hearing this, it's already gone. No, I don't, they'll have a couple of days <laughs> to watch four seasons. <laughs> also, when y'all are listening to this, we have been to our 20-year high school reunion. Y'all, I had to work real hard to get Donna to go. Colby sat down with me at dinner because we got there before anyone else. And he said, so she's making you go too? I was like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> there, there's two people going that they're the reason why I'm going. One, my friend Megan, who she's like, if I go, you have to go. And I'm like, okay. And then our friend Brandon, that's the one that's like hosting it. If it wasn't for Brandon hosting it, I wouldn't go. Yeah. But like, we can't do that to him. I know. I love him. It's just people. <laughs> With no alcohol. Well, I well, can't, you can't have drink it anyway, anyway, but still. <laughs> Which is why I need you to drive us so do- Colby and I can pregame. Oh, Lord. <laughs> hell no. I'm just kidding. Oh, Lord. Sober Donna and drunk Carrie, we don't get along. And strike that reverse it. Uh-huh. She can't drink anymore now because of her blood thinner. Also, drunk Donna and drunk Carrie sometimes don't get along either. True. <laughs> Most of the time they do, though. Yeah. But sometimes when there's Crown Royal involved, they uh, don't. Uh-uh. You know what always gets along? A good cup of coffee and a true crime book. Oh, that's true. That's right. Cult Coffee's back. And if you remember us talking about this before, they have a monthly subscription box that includes two mini, two ounce, freshly and locally roasted coffee and a trending true crime book, which is what I got. I got two mini of the medium roast and they were so good. And I think in that little two ounce mini thing, I got three cups of coffee out of that because I like I did it in my little Keurig mm-hmm. and I used the biggest size Keurig and I think I got three out of that. So those are pretty big. Yeah. Little, but they go a long way. It's done a Saturday at Motto. <laughs> well, y'all heard us talk about Crete Mom. She got some cult coffee. She went on a weekend getaway and she made sure to pack her cult coffee. It's so good. It's so pure. Like it doesn't have that bitter aftertaste. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so good. 
The packaging, amazing. They just think about every single detail. So when they're thinking that hard on the branding and everything, you know they have a quality product. With the True Crime and Coffee monthly subscription box at Kerrygod, you can do it with a one-time purchase of $19.99 or a monthly subscription and you save a dollar each time, $18.99. They also have coffee sample boxes for $14.99. Comes with four different coffee blends, eight two-ounce bags total. So you can try all the different medium roast, dark roast, mixes of it, and find the one you love and then get the big one. Mm-hmm. And Colt Coffee is a local, family-owned business founded by a dad and the daughter. And you know what? They're from Texas. And each month they'll have different blends that they highlight. One will be, you know, a breakfast blend. One might be the Equator Fusion FTO. And that's from beans around the equator. And that blend, they say, is really good for people who like cold brew. That's me. The thing that I love the most is that not only do the owners love coffee, they love true crime. And I really like the way that they've combined my two favorite things for this monthly subscription box with the true crime and coffee. Because sometimes... You're like, "Mm, I want to read something, but I don't really know what to read. And it's like, well, you got one coming every month. It's like your own book club. Yes. And you know, we love for people to take the guesswork out of what we are going to do. And they love true crime. So you know, it's going to be good. The packaging is so cute. It came with a sticker that Colby immediately put on his old lunchbox that doubles as our cooler when we drink beer by the pool. And I love its simplistic design, but also all the details. Yes. And not to toot our own horn, but they are creepsters. Colt Coffee is the perfect way to wake up in the morning because, look, mornings are hard. So let Colt Coffee be a part of your great awakening. If you want to get in on all this action to get the coffee sample box or the True Crime and Coffee monthly subscription box, you're going to go to www.colt.coffee and use promo code CREEP10 for 10% off your order. Again, that's www.colt.coffee and the promo code is CREEP10. 10, that's one zero for 10% off your order. You can also follow them on Instagram and Twitter at underscore cult, C-U-L-T, underscore coffee, underscore. We love cult coffee and we know you will too. Okay, my story is from a recommendation in the Facebook group from Ashley H. Adrian Lee Reynolds was born in Arkansas on September 12th, 1988. When she was born, her mom was only 16. So she just didn't feel like she was ready to have a kid. So Adrian's grandma and her grandma's husband, Tony, ended up adopting her. But Tony wasn't the biological mom, her name was Carolyn, wasn't the biological mom's father. I don't know if common is the right word, but that does happen a lot. Now, I don't know about the whole adopting. You know, they just usually will... Like raise them Mm -hmm. as theirs. Yeah. Well, after a few years, Tony and the grandmother ended up getting a divorce. But Tony was still very involved in Adrian's life, sent his child support payments. Like, he was a good dad. So in 1995, when Adrian was only six, the family moved to Longview, Texas. And that's kind of really where she was raised. Even though Adrian was apart from Tony, he really made an effort to be a part of her life. After a little while, Adrian's biological mom ended up meeting someone else and having another kid. So after that, she was like, okay, now I want Adrian back. Adrian left from living with the grandma to her biological mom. Do we know how old Adrian was at this point? She was like five or six when they moved to Texas. So, I mean, probably not many years older than that, I would say. Okay. As the years went on, Adrian went through a lot. She was in trouble a lot. Apparently, she was like left by herself for 
extended periods of time. By the time she was 12, she already had three assault charges and had been in rehab for drugs. Oh my gosh. So around 2003, when she was about 14, the state was about to take Adrian from her mom. So her mom reached out to Tony because Tony was living in Illinois. Now, Tony had gotten in his own trouble. He had actually gotten busted for meth and had served like five years in prison. But he did his time, got out, was clean, found himself a really good job, connected with his high school sweetheart, and ended up getting married and really made a life for himself in Moline, Illinois. Why didn't she contact her mom? Unsure. I think that the grandma slash mom was maybe a little toxic too. Okay. I I don't, I I actually have no proof of that, but I think so. So she called Tony, she being the biological mom, was like, can you please take Adrian? I'm having a really hard time with her. Like she's not going to school. She was 16 years old and did not have one high school credit. What? Yeah. So she like wouldn't go to school. She was really behind, getting into trouble, doing drugs, all the things. And while Tony was like, absolutely, his new wife, Joanne, was a little hesitant. I think she had two sons at home. And I mean, this was going to be a big undertaking to basically straighten this girl back out. So they were like, okay, she can come, but like, we've got some rules. She got to go to school. She's got to help around the house. Like, these are... These are our hard limits. Adrian had said some accusations about some family members about like sexual assault and stuff that she eventually recanted. I'm not saying that, that those really could have been true, but there was a lot that was surrounded with Adrian moving to Illinois. And so, of course, they were kind of apprehensive about it. So Adrian moved up there. She was going to school, like she was in middle school. She was kind of doing her thing, but she was still having a hard time. She wanted to go back to Texas. And so eventually she was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm going back. But she only made it four months in Texas because all of the same drama that was there when she left was there when she went back. So after four months, Adrian ended up going back to Illinois. So the father and stepmom, you know, Tony and Joanne were like, okay, you can come back. But like at this point, she was 15, 16. They were like, okay, like no drinking, no drugs. You got to go to school. You got to have a job. You got to help around the house. And she did. She got her a job at Checkers and she started attending Black Hawk Outreach Center. I love Checkers fries. Do you? Mm-hmm. I like their chocolate shakes. Oh, no, they got a good banana shake. Yes, you like that. You're gross. <laughs> that banana shake. Now, the Black Hawk College Outreach Program is actually still up and running, and they have what I understand to be like technical degrees and GED courses and that kind of thing. Adrienne had goals. She wanted to maybe join the Marine Corps. Of course, she had to get her GED to be able to do that. So she was actually in it to win it. When she got to school, you know, she's a new girl. She's in the Midwest. She's like this Texas girl. Everything talked about how cute she was. And she ended up meeting a girl named Sarah Kolb. Now, Sarah was born April 23rd, 1988. And she grew up in Illinois. Now, at this school, Sarah was actually really popular. She fancied herself a juggalo because she liked uh, Insane Clown Posse. Like, that's what they were called. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was a little more goth, but she was like head bitch in charge at this school. Now, Sarah is bisexual. Do you know if this was on Mean Girls, Mean Girl Killers or something like that? I don't know. 
Because this is now sounding familiar to me. This was on a bunch of different shows, like a bunch of different shows. And it's been on a bunch of different podcasts. Let's go to Court, Morbid. There's a couple of um, Midwest specific podcasts that it was on. Like this has been on a bunch of stuff. Sarah was bisexual. And when Adrian first got there, she was like, she cute. I got to know her. Plus, Adrian was getting a lot of attention because she was a new girl. She's cute. And so boys and stuff were paying attention to her. And like I said, Sarah was head bitch in charge. She wanted Adrian in her group so she could kind of control her because that's how Sarah was. Very controlling. Everybody did what she wanted, especially her best friend, Corey Gregory. Corey actually now goes by the name Harley Quinn and uses she, her pronouns. So from here on out, I'm going to call her Harley Quinn and use she, her. But all of the articles and stuff, they are still referred to as Corey Gregory. So if you go back and read things or watch things, that's who I'm talking about. So Harley was very shy and she actually met Sarah at the mall one year. Harley was a sophomore and when they met, they hit it off. They were like, hey, let's go smoke a cigarette while they're out there smoking a cigarette, shooting the shit. They're like, oh, we're both into weed. Let's light up a joint. And they become really good friends. Harley develops feelings for Sarah and they do kind of date for a little bit, but Sarah ends up, I think, being the one to call it off. But Harley is head over heels for Sarah. In it to win it, basically becomes Sarah's puppy dog. Does anything and everything that Sarah wants her to do. Sarah had so much power over Harley. Harley was actually at a regular high school and dropped out and went to uh, Black Hawk Outreach Center. Her parents didn't know anything about it. And she just did this and was like, oh, by the by, parents, I don't go to school anymore. I go to this school now. Whoa. Yeah. All for Sarah. I know this is very toxic, but I'm like, I wish someone liked me like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very toxic. Because here's the thing too, Sarah was not only basically in charge of everybody, but she is super jealous. So while she didn't have feelings for Harley anymore, everybody, including Sarah, knew that Harley was in love with her. She was going to make damn sure that Harley didn't have any other romantic partners because Sarah wanted everybody for herself. And in fact, Sarah dated other people, but Harley was there by her side the whole time. So as Sarah and Adrian became better friends, they had kind of talked about maybe having a romantic relationship. Sarah, like I said, identified as bisexual, and it said that Adrian was bi-curious. We have letters between them. Well, I don't, but you know what I'm saying. There's letters between them where they kind of asking questions, kind of trying to figure things out. So as Adrian gets further and further into Sarah's group, Sarah decides that, okay, it's time to test Adrian's loyalty. Because of course, it's all about loyalty when you're the head bitch in charge. Especially because the longer that Adrian was at the school, the more popular she was becoming with everyone. And it was starting to challenge Sarah's status. And so she's like, okay, now's the time to see if she's loyal to me, yada, yada, yada. They go to this house party. Literally, the house was known as like the party house. That's what it was called. And it was a group of kids in the area that were also really into insane clown posse, juggalos, the whole thing, where you could go drink, do drugs, everything. So Sarah, Harley, and Adrian go to this party because they are the trio. Sarah starts to tell people as soon as she gets there, like, hey, I've got Adrian here. She's super cute. She's here to have sex. 
What? Okay, so she's not a juggalo, she's a gigolo. Because Den tells Adrian, hey, you know what? I'm really cool if you like find somebody you want to hook up with while we're here. That's totally fine. Because she wants the people who are at the party to know she's cool if they want to hook up with Adrian. Mm-hmm. And then she tells Adrian, hey, it's cool if you want to hook up with somebody. And then wants to sit back and see if they actually act on it because she's testing loyalty. Right. And that's so stupid though because you're saying you're okay with it. What ends up happening is people are showing Adrian a shit ton of attention at this party. Well, because you've basically said, hey, she's down to fuck. Yeah. So, of course, people are going to be like, okay. Yeah, why couldn't I think of that lingo a second ago when I was like, she's here to have sex. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Adrian does, in fact, hook up with somebody at the party. And after the party, things shifted at school. People started calling her names. People started calling her Jiffy because she spreads. Oh, Lord. Like, that's such a high school, like, terrible nickname. But they they were calling her, like, every name under the sun if someone in high school deems you promiscuous. A.K.A. jealous that you having all the sex. So, eventually, Adrian figures out that the person saying all these things and starting all these rumors about her is actually Sarah. So, this ended up causing a pretty big rift between Adrian and Sarah. Well, I would think so. But, honestly, more on Sarah's end. Because Sarah was like, I'm done with this bitch. She wasn't loyal to me. Yada, yada, yada. And Adrian's like, wait, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I don't know. I'm not... I'm putting words in her mouth, but like, sorry that I hurt you, but like you gave the okay. Right. So we were on a break. (laughs) Right. Adrian, I feel like too, like knows that Sarah's in charge. And so she feels like, again, you got to remember that they are in this like school for kids who have difficulties. It's like this microcosm of kids. You know what I'm talking about? When you, like when you're in high school and you're in that vortex, it's one thing, but this is like an even smaller, more higher risk vortex. Yes. Where I think that it just, everything is... More extreme. Yes, amplified. So Adrian's like apologizing to Sarah and Sarah's not having it at all. So not long after that, Adrian actually goes back to the party house by herself, like no Sarah this time. And of course, she like meets some people. I think she hooks up with somebody again. And Sarah ends up going to the house too because she finds out. And Sarah's being mean to Adrian and yelling at her and calling her all these names and basically embarrassing her in front of all these people. And she even pulled a knife on Adrian. What the fuck? Adrian is trying to make her way back to being friends with Sarah, even though All this has gone down. She's threatened her. She's called her names. She's tried to turn everybody in the school against her. But some point after this, Harley and Adrian start talking. And they actually kind of develop feelings for each other. And they hung out a few times without Sarah. You gotta remember, Harley is Sarah's go-to person. Like, this is the person that's the loyalist to her. This is the person that's there by her side, will do anything she wants. And so Sarah felt really betrayed by this and was like, hell fucking no, Adrian. You are not getting Harley. Which, Sarah's just a user. Absolutely. Like, poor Harley has these feelings for her, and Sarah has a boyfriend. But, heaven forbid, Harley try anything with anybody else because Sarah wants Harley for herself. Mm Mm-hmm. She's like a classic narcissist. Oh, absolutely. So eventually, Sarah and Adrian in December of 2004 have another huge fight. And Sarah is like, Harley is mine. You can't have her. 
She's all mine. Off with you. But again, Adrian writes her notes. She's really trying to find her way back into this friendship, I think because she understands what it means in their social circle versus actually really wanting to be friends with Sarah. But on January 1st, 2005, Sarah seems to have maybe decided, okay, let's give this a try. Sarah, Harley, and Sarah's boyfriend at the time, his name is Sean. I saw his last name somewhere, but he's, he doesn't matter. He was a minor in the story, like an actual minor, and is of no consequence to the story. So let's just pluck that right out. They are going to go to Taco Bell for lunch and they invite Adrian because they're like, you know what? Let's squash this. They all go to lunch in Sarah's little Geo Prism car. She drives them. Sarah and Adrian in the front seat and Harley and Sean in the back seat. On the way, Adrian and Sarah start arguing and they're arguing to the point where Sean is like, you know what? Fuck this. I am out. And he gets out of the car and walks back to school. Flash forward to that evening. Joanne gets home, Adrian's stepmom, and she's like, wait, where the hell's Adrian? She's supposed to get out of school at 12. Her shit's not done around the house. Her work uniform is still here. She was supposed to go to work after school. Something's not right. So Joanne calls Tony and they're like, yeah, let's call around, see where she is. But like, I'm sure everything's fine. And Joanne's like, I I don't think so. Like, she's just got that mother instinct pit in her stomach, something's not right. So Adrian was supposed to have been at work by five. Now, remember she, like I said, she got out of school at 12. So what she would normally do is on payday, go pick up her check, go cash it, and then like later go back to work. So when they call her job, they realize that not only did she not show up for work, she didn't pick up her paycheck that day either. So Tony comes home and they start looking for Adrian, calling people, and eventually they go, this is not right, and they call the police. Now, Adrian has a past. Her parents even say like, look, she had issues with drugs, alcohol, you know, she had had issues with self-harm in the past. She's not the quote-unquote ideal missing person, but she didn't run away. And the police were like, well, how do you know that she didn't run away? And they're like, well, she didn't pick up her paycheck. Like if she was going to run away, she would have picked her paycheck up before she left. So the police start looking into, okay, when was she last seen? So they end up getting some information that she had actually gone to the Taco Bell with the trio that I'd mentioned earlier. So the police call Sarah and they're like, hey, you know, your friend Adrian, when was the last time you saw her? And Sarah's like, she's not my friend. Wow. And they're like, okay, but did you see her today? And she's like, long story short, she says, yeah, we went to Taco Bell and then we dropped her off at McDonald's because the McDonald's was like right across the street from her house. And she's like, yeah, we dropped her off at the McDonald's instead of home because she didn't want her parents to see her in the car with a boy. That ain't what happened, but that is true that her dad, because the police go back to her and her dad's like, yeah, I would have gotten mad if I would have seen her in the car with a boy, but like we weren't home from work. Right. I was about to say, who was home? Nobody. So probably not true. So the police call Harley and she tells essentially the same story, but somewhere in these calls, somebody mentions a fight. The police call Sarah again. Long story short, they get the story from the two that Adrian and Sarah had started hitting each other and that nothing really came of it. Adrian had hit Sarah really hard and that's kind of where it ended and they went their separate ways. 
Sarah even told the police, like, when they were getting off the phone, and if you hear anything about where she is, let me know. Mm-hmm. The police ended up bringing Sarah in for questioning, and Sarah had an attorney. Same things happened during the questioning, and then they bring Harley in for questioning. Harley knew that Sarah had an attorney, so she decided to get one, too. Harley went in for questioning, again, kind of the same thing, but that night when she went home is when she caved under the pressure. Harley basically told her dad, I heard on a couple of podcasts, they were saying that Harley like broke down and was like, hey, like I got to tell you what happened and could not get it out. And the dad was like, did something happen in that car? And Harley was like, yeah. The dad was like, is Adrian hurt? And she was like, really bad. So Harley's parents took her to the police station where she definitely minimized her participation, but told them essentially everything they needed to know. Harley said that the two started fighting and Adrian, again, got a really good hit in on Sarah. So that really did happen. Yeah. When you said that's how it ended, I'm like, Sarah's not the type that would let that go right there. No. I picture Sarah like movie style, like touching the blood on her nose and looking at it and being like fuck you. Yes. Sarah had this wooden stick that she just had in her car for protection in case she needed it. So she uses that stick to start to hit Adrian. Harley plays it off like I was just looking out the window, smoking a cigarette, didn't really know what was going on. And then all of a sudden they were in the back seat with me fighting. What? And then like a oops, my belt came off. And that's what Sarah used to (gasps) strangle her. No. But that's not really what happened. They were fighting, and she did hit her with the stick, and they did end up in the back seat. But Harley held Adrian's arms down while Sarah strangled her. Oh my gosh. Harley said that Sarah strangled Adrian essentially until she was unconscious. Then the two of them just got out of the car to smoke a cigarette. And that basically when they got back in the car, they realized that Adrian was dead. But I don't buy that. I think that Sarah had all intentions of killing her because the school that they go to made them keep diaries. Sarah said one time in her diary that she was going to kill Adrian. And then I want to say the date of the murder, she said she was going to spread the jiffy. Gosh. I think she planned to kill her. Yeah. I don't know that Harley knew that that was her plan. I think Harley probably thought they were just going to go beat her up. But again, she did whatever Sarah wanted her to. So she was game. It was January when this went down. So with them sitting in the car, the windows had fogged up because they are literally in lunch rush hour in a Taco Bell parking lot with all of this going down. People saw the car. Like there is a man that ended up testifying that saw the car like rocking. But with the windows and the car rocking, he thought somebody was just having sex. Oh, shit. Who goes straight to murder? Right. Somebody's definitely getting strangled in that car. Right. You go to sex. You don't go to murder. So he didn't, like, he thought about calling police, but he's like, it's probably just kids having sex. Like, move on. You know? I mean, gross, but move on. When I think of a car scene like that, you know what I think of? What? Titanic. Yeah. I remember being young and being like, (gasps) oh. See, and I remember being like, (gasps) I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) difference between us people having sex makes me so very uncomfortable when i lived in a, an apartment and somebody lived above me and i could hear them having sex i like i cannot even explain i would have been like and now let me get my vibrator out no god it made me so uncomfortable 
So now the two have to decide what to do with Adrian's body. Sarah says, let's go to my grandparents' farm. So they take Adrian's body to this farm. At some point on the way, they ended up putting her in the trunk. They decide that they were going to bury her. But it's January in Illinois. The ground's frozen solid. There's no digging in that. They're like... I got an idea. Let's cremate this body. No. So they go get gasoline and try to burn the remains. This is what these two knuckleheads didn't know. You have to be at like 2,000 degrees to burn a freaking body. Like they literally thought they were just going to light her on fire and poof, she's going to disintegrate. Oh, gosh. Like, no, that's not how that works. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, I remember watching on something, this may not be true, that when you actually, when you pour gasoline on a body, burn the gasoline off. Like, you're not actually burning the body. You're burning that accelerant off. Mm, I have no idea. You damn firebug. (laughs) So, obviously, that didn't work. So, they had to go to plan B. So, plan B was dismemberment. What? But while they were kind of deciding like, okay, what do we do now? This didn't work. They covered the body up and left for the night. They had to go home so their own families weren't worried about where they were. And they were like talking on the phone, trying to figure out what to do. And that's when they decided we got to dismember the body. But Harley was like, I can't do that. Now, they could sit around her like it was a freaking bonfire and hang out and watch her burn, which is atrocious. But Harley drew the line at, I cannot cut her up. Like, I I, I physically can't do it. So, they decided to bring in Nathan Gaudette. Nathan went to the same school as them, and he had issues, clearly, if that's who they thought. Literally, I was about to say, if you're like, okay, I got to dismember this person. You can't do it. So, oh, I know who I'm going to get. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. apparently he was really into like blood and gore stuff and he was known to actually kill animals. Nope, nope, nope. So Nathan being the budding serial killer that he was, was like, I'm down. And the next day he goes with them to the farm and brings a handsaw. Oh my gosh. How do you approach someone to say, all right, so we killed Adrian, and we need you to help us dismember her. You find a Nathan. You find somebody that is just as fucked up as you. I know, but even just saying that, like, I don't I, know. No, I know. And, 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 like, the number of people who know at this point, I feel like the only way you can get away with murder is if you are the only person that knows. Mm-hmm. Which you could never do. No, I could never do. I would be Harley Quinn and break down. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Nathan helps them, or does, dismember the body. They have a plan that they're going to take the head and the hands separately because those are what can be used to identify her body. I'm sure Nathan knew that point. Touche. So there was like a little ravine right on the farm, and that's where they dumped like the torso and stuff. But then they took the head and the hands with them. Like just in the trunk, took it with Harley and Sarah. And on the way, they're like, ooh, we should really smoke some pot and, ooh, let's stop at McDonald's. Oh my gosh. With her remains in the back trunk. How? So they end up taking the head and hands to this area that's like this like park slash wooded area by the school. They were going to try to bury it out there, but they ended up finding a manhole and they dumped the rest of the remains in that manhole. Now, when Harley confesses everything, she ends up taking police 
to that area, to the manhole, and they find the remains. And then Harley takes the police to where her torso and limbs are. Of course, they were not able to identify the cause of death from all the trauma to the body, but they were able to surmise that it was strangulation. Keep in mind, Adrian was only 16, Sarah was 16, and Harley was 17. Oh my gosh. So after Harley leads the police to the body, Sarah and Harley get arrested on first-degree murder charges and concealment of a homicide. Nobody had said anything about Nathan when Harley was confessing and all. It wasn't until Nathan's, I think it was his grandfather, saw blood on the saw that he went to police. Wow. And was like, I think he was involved. It came out that, yeah, Nathan's the one that dismembered her. So Nathan was arrested and charged with concealment of a homicidal death. Now, Harley and Sarah both pled not guilty. Nathan took a plea and pled guilty to concealment of a homicide in agreement to testify. And because of his age and his deal, he was sentenced to five years in a juvenile detention center. For dismembering a body. For being the one that they said, hey, you have nothing to do with this, but uh, we have a dead body and will you dismember it for us? And he's like, sure thing, I'll bring my handsaw. Yeah, like a handsaw, like not even a chainsaw, like a handsaw. Oh, gosh. So now remember, this happened in like 2005. And in 2000, I'm just gonna, this is kind of an aside, but in 2012, Nathan actually died in a car accident. Not where I saw that going. This may be a, a Donna thing to say, but I feel like the universe saved us from a serial killer. I was going to say it, but I didn't want to say it. And if it's terrible, uh, tell us that we're terrible. But I really feel like he had the potential to do really bad things. Like like, like we said, if he is your go-to for dismembering a body and he's like, I'm down. And he had the history of the animals, animals and stuff. Yes. Yeah. So Sarah went to trial in October of 2005. The trial was two weeks long and Sarah actually testified in, on her own behalf. And, you know, that really didn't go very well. I was going to say, who let her do that? I mean, thanks, because it probably hurt your case. So police had, they had a lot of evidence. I mean, I honestly never saw anything like forensically, but surely there was a shit ton of forensics in Sarah's car. Yeah. I I never saw anything about the forensics, but I'm just going to imagine that there was. They had letters from Sarah and Adrian. They had the journal entries where Sarah mentioned murdering Adrian. The jury deliberated for like 15 hours and ended up deadlocked. (gasps) No. 11 to 1 that she was guilty. Oh my gosh. How? How are you a holdout on this? I get it. It's probably because of her age, but um, it's not like she killed someone older than her or anything. Well, and she's 16. She's not 12. Mm -hmm. Like, she's 16. That's that's very, yes, she's a minor, but that's, again, very different than even a 14-year-old. Yeah. So, that was ruled a mistrial. Sarah ended up going back to trial like the next February. She didn't testify this time and they moved where the trial was and this one took basically no time and she was convicted on all charges. She was sentenced to 48 years for the murder and five years for the concealment. Those have to run consecutively. And then Harley ended up pleading guilty to all charges and she was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the murder, five years for the concealment to be consecutive as well. 
just recently, like at the beginning of this year, there was some work in getting their convictions vacated. And I think Harley's actually got vacated and then she was resentenced. Because in 2011, you remember that Supreme Court ruling that said that you could not have a mandatory life sentence for a juvenile defender. They said it was unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. So basically anything over 40 years was considered a life sentence. That gave, and it was retroactive. So these two were able to appeal to try to get different sentences. Long story short, their stuff was upheld. But Harley, like I said, I think that hers was vacated and she was sentenced again and got the same thing. So they are both still in prison. Like I said, that Harley has now identifies as Harley and she, her pronouns. But Sarah is also, I definitely don't want to make any assumptions about anyone's gender but I also want to be clear that if I misgendered her, I never saw anywhere in any documentation, like any articles, that she went by a different name or used different pronouns. And I do know that people that may have like PCOS and stuff can have facial hair. But in Sarah's most recent mugshot, she's definitely more masculine and has facial hair now. So I don't know if she's started some hormone treatments. Um, so I just want to be clear that if I misgendered her, I truly apologize, but I never found anywhere. Whereas I found that Harley goes by Harley and, you know, her pronouns. So my apologies if Sarah's, if I was wrong about hers. Yeah. It was a Medium article, like Mm medium.com, that was a really good two-parter, by the way, that had lots of information. But, um, in that article, I think is the one that said like her appearance has changed. She's more masculine, but it said nothing about her gender identity or anything like that. So anyway, I just wanted to make that point. Again, I definitely don't want to speculate on anybody's gender Mm -hmm. identity, but I also don't want to misgender somebody. Yeah. No matter what they've done, their identity is their identity. Yeah. I mean, just be a nice human and be respectful of Mm -hmm. people, period. I can't remember if it was on Morbid. I cannot remember what podcast it was I was listening to about this. But they said that Harley actually had like a GoFundMe out there for a little while for like $3,000 so that she could write and publish a book. And she was like, it's been my lifelong dream, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't give a fuck if that's your lifelong dream. You're in prison for murdering someone. Brutally murdering someone. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck if you want to write a fucking book. Adrian's stepmom, Joanne, came out and was like, please don't give to this. Like, please honor Adrian and not give money to this. Yeah. This is not the story I was thinking about on that Mean Girl Murders. There's an episode of I Kill My Best Friend or I Kill My BFF. There's an episode of Dateline. And then um, I could not find that episode of I Kill My BFF. But there's a bunch of podcasts about this and, you know, everybody kind of does their own little details about it. And there were a couple of blogs. There's a there's a blog called A True Crime Blog and Podcast by Gina Glob and an article on Medium called Killer Profile Sarah Kolb. And like I said, it's it was a part one and two by Jay Nathaniel Lee that were really great. So definitely go read those. All right. Before we talk any more about mine and get into your story, we got to talk about real because we are for real excited that Real is back. Y'all know that this is Donna's favorite. I am very particular what goes on my hiney, and Real is the only toilet paper I use. It's amazing. Quality, superb. But also, it gets delivered to your door. And you could do like a subscription of it too. Yes, I don't have to think about it. But if you don't want to do the subscription, you can do a one-time purchase. But it's like, okay, what makes Real so different? It's because it's made from bamboo grass. And you know what? Bamboo grass is like a sustainable superhero. 
It really is. It can be stronger than steel and softer than cotton. When we were talking to Real about them being a sponsor for this podcast, what I thought was so cool was how they explained the bamboo grass and like why it was so important that this was made out of bamboo grass. Because anytime you have other paper products, they're made from trees. You cut a tree down, then you have to plant it, wait for it to grow. Whereas with bamboo grass, that is like cutting the grass in your lawn. You're trimming it. You're not cutting it and killing it at the root. It's a constant replenishable resource. And like Donna said, it is softer than cotton. That toilet paper feels so good. It makes me feel so luxurious how it comes wrapped. Everything about real makes it the real deal. Also, because it is made from bamboo grass, it doesn't contribute to deforestation. And we've all seen Fern Gully, okay? Real has actually partnered with One Tree Planted, and every box of Real that you buy, they're helping fund reforestation efforts across the country. So again, you're not cutting trees down, you're helping plant them. And like Donna said, Real Toilet Paper gets shipped to your door for free in plastic-free packaging. So you never have to worry about, oh my god, I gotta go buy toilet paper. And if you're like Donna, and you get embarrassed... I do! She could buy tampons and condoms, but toilet paper? No. I know! But I also know that there are people out there like me who don't want the toilet paper in their buggy. Sign up to Reel's easy, hassle-free subscription and get this toilet paper delivered conveniently to your door for free. Well, the shipping for free. So go to realpaper.com slash creep and sign up for a subscription using the code creep at checkout and you're going to get 30% off your first order. And like I said, free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash creep and enter code creep to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping to your door. Real is good for the planet and good for your tush. So head on over to realpaper.com slash creep and use promo code creep to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. Okay, so last week we talked about an astonishing woman who was accused of being a witch. And this week we're going to talk about a woman who is known as the Brooklyn Enigma. Mary J. Fancher, whose nickname was Molly, was born August 16th, 1848. She was born in Massachusetts, but about two years later, her parents moved the family to Brooklyn, New York. Hence, where the nickname stems from, Brooklyn Enigma. Life was pretty normal until 1855, when Molly's mother died, and then Molly's dad remarried and moved away. Now, Molly's mom had been sick a lot, and so she had talked to her sister, Susan Crosby, and said, Hey, if anything happens to me, I want you to take care of my kids, but especially Molly. I think she's going to need the most help of all. And unfortunately, but also conveniently, Susan was supposed to marry a man, but he died. So she was, you know, unmarried, all the things when Molly's mom died. And so she moved to Brooklyn into the house. Does that make sense? Like she had no other thing going, which I mean, I get you, Susan. I feel you. But she was able to easily relocate. And I don't know why Molly's dad was just like, peace, but whatevs. Now, Molly was the eldest child But again, she seemed to be the most frail. People described her as being, quote, a child of sorrow. And that was before her mom passed away. So she just always seemed melancholy. But then after that huge loss of her mom and then the shift in her family, it seemed to be worse. 
However, through it all, Molly was a great student, was well-liked by her teachers, by her fellow students, had tons of friends. But when Molly was 15 years old, she started to have that more fragile demeanor again. She started to complain about stomach issues and just being very weak. So Aunt Susan called the doctor and he diagnosed Molly as having nervous indigestion. I feel that. (laughs) Right? Now, they didn't have Pepto back then, but the doctor said, you know what will fix you right up, Molly? Some horseback riding. That's exactly what someone who's suffering from poops, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, migraines, all the things. Let me ride a freaking horse. No, thanks. I mean, you know, though, if you are having a hard time going, movement (laughs) does help, you know, shove it along. It does, but I also don't want to be bounced up and down. Touche. Oh, no. mm -mm. And the horse doesn't want that either, okay? But Molly did as the doctor prescribed, and she discovered that she soon felt better. And even more than that, she discovered a new passion. Molly loved going on the horseback rides, and people said they were always delighted when they saw her out riding around. Until you're Michelle Tanner and that horse kicks you off and you lose your memory. Well, Uh on May 19th, 1864, when Molly was 16, she was thrown from the horse. She was badly injured in this incident. She landed on her head and broke some ribs, some bones. I mean, I know those are the same thing, but specifically the ribs, and then they just had bones. (laughs) And she lost a lot of blood. They say the only reason she really survived is because she had like a thick wool hat on or something. It was basically like a helmet because it was so thick. Molly did have a lot of ailments that were caused by the fall. The pains in her side, her headaches, they were almost unbearable at times. Molly even complained about having double vision, but it took a bit and Molly recovered from that horrible accident. She even found a new love in her life, a man she wanted to spend forever with, and so they made plans to wed soon. But it wasn't long until another tragic accident occurred. Do you want to guess what this one is? Her husband died. Well, not that. However, Molly was on a trolley, and yes, that does rhyme, but (laughs) (laughs) she was doing some last-minute shopping for that upcoming wedding. Well, when she was going to get off the trolley, because, I mean, this is back in the 1800s, so they had streetcars or trolleys, but they were horse-drawn. Like, someone was, you know, cherry good chap (laughs) with the horse. (laughs) So she's like, oh, this is my stop. So she waves. He goes to slow down. She goes to step off. And I guess he thought she was super fast or something. But she was like my speed, um, like the sloth on Zootopia. And when she's getting off the trolley, he starts to go. However, you know, back in the Victorian era, they wore those big dresses and shit. Well, the crinoline skirt, like that really stiff petticoat Mm -hmm. that gave that dress the va-va-voom, it got stuck on part of the trolley. So she not only fell, which would be embarrassing enough, she got hooked onto the trolley. And that Cherioga Chapman did not see this. Okay, can we pause for a second? I mean, really hate that she got dragged by the trolley. Is it because I said Cheerio, not Cheerio? Yes! Ah, I just, just occurred to me. When you say the word cherry, like a maraschino cherry, you say cheery. When it's time (laughs) to say Cheerio, you say cherry. (laughs) No, I don't. Do we have to go back to you saying argue? Because you said it about 20 times in your story, ma'am. I know. <laughs> but, like, I consistently say that wrong. <laughs> oh, that makes it so much better. <laughs> I heard it being wrong in my head when I said it, and I was like, huh, I think I said that wrong. Like, you say the word cherry, and you have to sit there and think. I cherry, do. Cherry. But cheerio. <laughs> 
You know, I'm sorry. Could I have some Honey Nut Cheerios? Cheerios. She looked at me, y'all, because she did not know which if what I said was right or wrong. She looked at me with like the paws of a deer in headlights. She had no idea if I was saying it right or wrong. Okay, back to Molly and this tragic accident. She was dragged a city block before <gasps> someone noticed and stopped the trolley. Oh my God. And just think about doing that on smooth pavement nowadays. It would hurt. However, it was that damn cobblestone paver shit back in the day. So Molly was unconscious. Her ribs were broken yet again. And unfortunately, Molly never really recovered from this accident. And the wedding was called off. How rude. Well, that's weird that you said a Stephanie Tanner quote. I know. Did you write that down or you just ad-libbed that? No, I actually did. I said, how rude, right? It doesn't surprise me because there's actually, I don't know the actual statistics, but like pretty staggering statistics of the number of men that leave their spouse when they're going through like chronic illness, like, or like cancer treatment and stuff Mm. like that. Like it is astounding how many leave their spouses. I wonder how vice versa no, that it's, is. Yeah, it's not. It's women always stay. Yeah, because I would, I would feel like, no, I have to stay because he's sick. Yeah. And I need to take care of him and be there for him. Yeah, men don't. Not all. I'm just saying statistically, yeah. it's way less men that stay than women. You know what I don't like? I don't like when someone says, oh, I have such a bad headache. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. And they're like, it's not your fault. You didn't give it to me. Well, I know I didn't. I'm just saying, like, you're complaining, and I'm saying, I'm sorry that you're hurting. Yeah, I feel bad for you that you're hurting. Obviously, I know that I didn't, like, kick you in the head. Right? That's just one of those things, like, when you're doing the whole dating shit that's like, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite color? What's this? And someone complains, and you're like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And when they say that, I'm like, it just grinds my fucking gears. (laughs) I Knew you were about to say that. I almost said it with you (laughs) to say, she's about to say, grinds my gears. It does. Oh, just like, yes, I know. It's not my fault. I would say, I'm sorry for hurting your head, but I'm just saying. No, you wouldn't. Donna grinds my gears because um, when she doesn't think she needs to apologize, she says, I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. Not, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. Well, if we want to get into that, I don't say I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings because I don't feel like it should have hurt your feelings. So like, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt, but I don't feel like I was in the wrong. Y'all tell us what you think of that. (laughs) Because I feel like I'm going to win this one. I don't know. Next episode, we have no more podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like if someone's feelings are hurt, whether you believe that they should be or not, their feelings are valid and you should apologize about it. I apologize that your feelings were hurt. Is that like no? To me, that's like being like like you might as well like you're you're basically being like I'm sorry that you're so dumb that you got your feelings hurt for that. Is to me how that comes across. But that's how you take it because that's what you said. No, it's <laughs> <not>. <laughs> Meanwhile, this hasn't happened in a long time, but I'm still <laughs> butthurt over it. Well, because I'm just, y'all tell us what you think. Yes, tell us please. Can't get swag. <laughs> Except for when we apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Poor Molly is just getting trampled on over here. And Carrie just wants to trample over on me. Now it's just Molly and Aunt Susan again. Because, you know, her hubby left. So when you said he died, I was like, well, not really, but. He did to her. uh Uh-huh. He a scumbag. 
Molly was bedridden due to the spinal injuries and the head trauma. Molly also had issues still where she had the nervous digestion symptoms. With that, like, she just could not keep medicine down. She couldn't keep food down, no matter what they did. And so she really just didn't eat. Molly laid there in bed, suffering but surviving, until she was 19 years old. I wonder what the actual cause of her, quote, nervous digestion was or whatever it was like did she have like GERD did her like did her esophagus need to be stretched did she have like there's I wonder what she actually had yes did she have a hiatal hernia I mean like they're like those are just like in my realm of little bit of knowledge like what could it have possibly yeah well Molly's story then became kind of well known in the area because when a doctor came to do a checkup he found that Molly hadn't eaten anything in seven weeks (gasps) oh How was she alive? Exactly. Honestly, at first, he didn't think she was alive. And finally, he found a pulse. She was just laying there comatose. And he's like, there's no way a human could survive by fasting that long. And so, of course, people started to talk. Now, when the doctor was there, Molly finally ate something. All she could manage was a small piece of a cracker and a spoonful of punch. Then Molly started having seizures and would enter a trance-like state. So I feel like, again, she went into a coma, but they're saying trance-like state. I do feel like I've heard when someone has um, anorexia and they do begin eating, if it's like so severe, now hers obviously is not an eating disorder, but when it's so severe like that, if they eat too much, it causes damage. Like they have to slowly add it back. You know, like if you put a feeding tube and you can't put too much because their body can't handle it. It has to like relearn how to process it. Gosh. Well, Molly was having to be watched around the clock due to these seizures because people would have to hold her down because she was thrashing so much. And it became more well-known about Molly and how she was still alive on little to no food. And the people who watched Molly claimed that she went at least three months without consuming anything. Now, it seemed like loud noises would be what startled Molly into spasming or the seizuring and then enter a trance. Like on July 12th, there was a fire alarm and she was in a trance for three days after that. Then again, a really bad thunderstorm, like six days after that. But then sometimes the seizures happened without any warning. Like when Molly's right arm suddenly contracted itself up in like a drawn position over her head, her legs also contracted, and she was then unconscious for several days. Another time she entered a trance was when she was given chloroform. (gasps) to aid in the pain of having all her teeth removed because they had rotted because, like, she hadn't had any nourishment. And if they were so dry, Mm. because if she wasn't taking in any fluids, then her mouth was probably really dry, and they'll rot because your saliva keeps your teeth healthy. Oh. So, like, even if somebody just has, like, chronic dry mouth, they have to use that mouth swish stuff because it will rot your teeth because they're not getting that lubrication. I did not know that. Mm Mm-hmm. I just thought the dry mouth thing was like for, not for vanity reasons, but like for your own feel. Like comfort. Like Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, it is. But also it can cause a lot of damage to your teeth. Yeah, I did not know that. Well, during this period, Molly's doctors tried several different treatments. They shaved her head and tried electroshock therapy. They even tried hydrotherapy, which included really hot baths and then really cold baths. She received several enemas. 
Then later that September, same year, Molly started having violent muscle spasms and her whole body seized up. Her hips actually dislocated from (gasps) her violent thrashing. And then she closed her eyes and she laid just like that for nine years. What? So like no feeding tube? No. Like they tried at one point, but because her throat had paralyzed, gotten mm-hmm. paralyzed. I don't know the right verb there. They tried, but like she just couldn't keep anything down. I think they would actually, with the enemas and stuff, would try to do like beef broth inside of her and stuff. But like her body really didn't take to that. Like it didn't nourish yeah. her. Well, I'm sure it didn't. Well, the moment Molly awoke from this trance, she didn't remember even going to sleep. Like, she woke up like it hadn't been nine years at all, just mere seconds, and was talking about shit. And they were like, wait, what? What? Why are you thinking that? And then she's like, Kai, y'all look older. What's going on? And that's when, you know, they told her, you've, you've been asleep for nine years. And then I would be like, three more minutes. <laughs> No lie, you would be. (laughs) When Molly recovered from that long coma, she lost all of her senses. Touch, taste, sound, smell, sight. How'd she lose her sight and then know that they were older? Well, I'll tell you in a minute about that. Okay, okay. But the senses would come and go back sporadically. Gotcha. But with the loss of these, it seemed like she gained a second sight. She could see things even if she couldn't physically see them. She would know that someone was at the door before there was even a knock. She could forecast bad weather, which, hello, so can my elbows and my knees. So, Molly, sit down, girl. You're not that special. But her powers kept getting stronger and stronger. She could read something in an envelope without opening it, without being able to physically see. She would just, like, have her hand on it or put it under her pillow And she could recite it word for word. She could even tell what time of the day it was. And one time this doctor came over and she had said the time. And he's like, you can't possibly know what time it is. And she's like, yes, I can. I can see the watch in your pocket. Her eyes were closed. She couldn't see, but it was right. Though I will say, Carrie is really good at time. I mean, not that good. Not that good, but like, you really are. You're like, oh, I think it's probably close to six. And I'd be like, is it 12? Like, I have no fucking concept of time. (laughs) Apparently, you're like a carnival worker to me because you're good at telling someone's size, their age, and what time of day it is. And if they have a wedding ring on. Seriously, she has wedding ring radar. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Like, it could be in a pocket. And she's like, yeah, I think he has a wedding ring. And then, like, later on, I'll look and be like, he does. How'd you know that? I can look straight at his hand and she'd be like, did you see the ring? And I'm like, no. Like, it just doesn't. I don't know. Apparently, I just don't see a ring. I will say, I am losing my touch a little bit, though. Because <laughs> I don't pay attention anymore, you know? Yeah. So, I'm, I, it, it's slipping. Well, something that Molly could do that Carrie can't do, she could describe what her friends were wearing on a certain day, a certain time. And also, like, while she has one arm, like, contracted above her head, she also wrote poems. She would even do embroidery. And so she would do it, like, with the hand above her head and stuff. So she couldn't see, but she could see. And another thing, Molly could basically astral project to her friends in different locations. And later when they would come to see her, she'd be like, hey, I saw you and your boo last night. And then describe shit. I mean, it was kind of an invasion of their privacy. And I'm like, Molly girl, you in danger if you come and check in on me at any time that it's supposed to be private time for me. Let's be honest, any time period. 
<laughs> I mean, yes. I put maybe just on the weekends. During the week, you can catch me passed out with my hand in a chip bag. Oh my God. Not a lie. You don't sleep. <laughs> that is true. Now, she stopped having seizures, but her body grew paralyzed. So, like, she was paralyzed from her neck down. So, she could no longer do art or anything from her bed. But by this time, Molly was kind of a local celebrity because, again, doctors were scoffing at the idea that she could be sustained by no nourishment, and yet they had no real evidence to back up their claims of her being a fraud because they had so many eyewitnesses that said, yeah, no, she's had like a spoonful of punch or she's, you know, done just a bare minimum of something in like a month. And this has went on for years. You know what this reminds me of? There's an episode of Sex and the City where Charlotte and Carrie go to this like art installation thing. I actually have no idea what art installation means, but an art thing. And it's a woman who is like in this loft and she hasn't eaten in like 30 days or something. The ladder down off the loft is like made of knives so she cannot come down from that until x number of days like when she'll basically be let down yeah the art installation is open 24 hours a day so carrie's like making a joke to charlotte like meanwhile if we come by here at like three o'clock in the morning she's probably up there eating a big mac yeah and that's when she meets the russian because he's like oh "Oh, you think she's up here meeting well let's come check and that's when they have their first date oh but that's what it reminds me of, like, yeah, you know, is she really sneaking food that people just don't know? Yeah. But if she's truly paralyzed, then she couldn't do it. However, it kind of gives me a little Gypsy Rose vibe. They said, you know, if she was able to do anything, she would, like, suck the juice from the fruit in her mouth and then just kind of, like, spit the rest of the fruit out. Like, she couldn't chew it or anything like that, but she could just suck the juices. But sometimes that wasn't even doable, Because, like I said, her throat would be paralyzed as well. Now, when they asked how she survived on little to no sustenance, she replied that she received nourishment from sources about which no one knows but me. Another thing about Molly is that when she woke up from that nine-year trance, there were basically multiple Mollies. There was a primary personality who was very cheerful. She was the daytime Molly, and her name was Sunbeam because she was so cheerful. Then there was Idol, Rosebud, Pearl, and Ruby. Now, when Sunbeam would go to bed around 11, Idol would take over. Idol was very, very, very jealous of the daytime Sunbeam and would actually like unravel the embroidery that Sunbeam would do that day and just like trash everything. Now, Idol was from early childhood up until the first accident. Then the Rosebud personality spoke like a six-year-old and acted very childlike. Pearl was described as being 17 or 18, and she spoke with an accent and was described as the epitome of spiritual beings on this earth. Like, very angelic. And then there was Ruby. She was full of personality, laughter, full of wit, super smart. Everything that they believe Molly would have been had she not had her accidents. Now, when word spread even more about Molly and now her multiple personalities, P.T. Barnum stopped by and he was like, Hey girl, you up in this bed and suffering, so why not come on the road with me? 
because you can have a really nice bed like made of the finest feathers and gold plated and you'll have such an impact on people. But Molly refused because she didn't want to be a part of his sideshow. She didn't want any fame or fortune from this. She had money. She didn't need or want this attention. It was more like with her friends and then of course like doctors and her friends would talk and all the things. But she wasn't like, yes, come visit me. I'll read your fortune and you can pay me. Like, no, she was laying in her bed. There were some doctors and even a famous astronomer who did little tests to see if they could prove it was a hoax. You know, because when something like this is happening, everyone wants to poke the hole in there. They want to be the one to say, aha, I found it. She's a liar. But they couldn't, even as much as they tried, they didn't understand what was going on with Molly, but they couldn't find any proof about her lying or anything. Years went on like this, but by the 1890s, Molly had greatly improved. She was able to see a little bit again, and she was able to move her arms a little bit, but she was never able to get out of bed. She was finally able to tolerate some food too. However, the better her health got, the less her supernatural abilities were. Now, on February 3rd, 1916, she had a large celebration. She called it her Golden Jubilee because it was the 50th anniversary of her being bedridden. She invited a lot of people, but it was by invite only. Not just any Joe Schmo could come in and celebrate with her or, you know, again, she didn't want to be like some main attraction. It was like her celebrating her life. Even though I've suffered, even though I've done this, like I've been strong enough and I've lived for some reason. And like, I want to celebrate my life with you. Now, in an article of the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, they said that, quote, the curious may as well save time and fare. Molly Fancher never was and never will be a curiosity. Then on February 15th, just days after her golden jubilee, Molly Fancher passed away. So even though I focused on Molly, because she was basically the beginning of this trend in the Victorian era, where girls would starve themselves and claim that they had psychic abilities, that it was very spiritual, they were known as the fasting girls. Okay, random thought. I wonder if this is when beauty standards went from like thick, more Can voluptu- you just stop? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <Can> bye. <laughs> oh my God. Who are you, Molly Fancher? Fucking knowing everything I'm about to say? <laughs> I would be so pissed if you did this in my story. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. <laughs> okay, so... During this time, girls who looked frail and pale were the most attractive. <laughs> it was the beauty standard. <laughs> Motherfucker read my notes, eh? <laughs> it's like they could survive on air. So they were just so delicate, like ladies were supposed to be. Gross. Mm-hmm. And of course, all these fasting girls were diagnosed with having hysteria. Now, I never knew this. Maybe you will. <laughs> I don't know. But on the Lore podcast, it said that hysteria comes from the Greek word hystera. I don't know. But you know what that means? Period. Uterus. Close. Mm-hmm. I was like, of course. Of right. course it does. And let me guess. Who created that word? A man? <laughs> 
Well, recently there was a show on Netflix called The Wonder, and it's about a nurse who goes to Ireland and she has to watch over this girl for 14 days because she says like, I haven't had anything to eat and all I need to sustain my life is manna from heaven. The story follows more of the religious fasting trend, but it was based on all the well-known fasting girls. So like SVU always says, ripped from the headlines, like (laughs) this was based on all of these people and she just combined it into one person. They were all pretty famous in their own right during the highest time of this fasting girls trend. Businesses wanted to put them on display like a human zoo. And because, you know, you've seen on like the, as Carrie keeps saying, the art installations where that <laughs> they'd have like these models just like modeling the clothes standing there and stuff. But yet these girls would just be standing there and being like, I'm not eating, you know, but I survive because my faith is so strong or I survived because my supernatural abilities are so blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Y'all, I got to eat. Me too. Just ask Colby. I'm a royal bitch if I'm hungry. (laughs) Ask anyone. One of the sources that the writer used when she wrote The Wonder was a Welsh fasting girl named Sarah Jacob. Now, Sarah was in her preteens and her parents were certain that she was a miracle. She claimed that she didn't have any food or water for years. Well, unlike Molly, Sarah's parents were like, I mean, she's basically a saint. Again, it was all very religious. They were like, if you want to come and touch her or, you know, have her heal you or anything like that, you can come, but we would love a donation. Of course they did. Mm -hmm. And again, it's on Sarah's behalf, but give it to us. Because again, people thought the fasting girls, they were the closest to sainthood. So they wanted to provide offerings and such. Well, there was a doctor who wanted to put Sarah through some tests and her parents agreed. He was like Carrie Bradshaw and the Russian. He's like, yeah, yeah, she's she's eating a Big Mac or whatever you said at some point. Like this girl is not surviving off of air. So they took her to a hospital. She was only to be given food or water if Sarah herself requested it. She was under surveillance 24 hours a day to make sure she wasn't sneaking any food. Her parents weren't giving her any food. It was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And if she breaks, we know she was a liar. Parents were a liar. All the things. Well, this was over a week's time. But then Sarah died from starvation. (gasps) Her parents were later convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to hard labor, but they denied any wrongdoing. They claimed that she died due to unrelated issues, and it wasn't that they starved her, but it's like, okay, so you're saying she survived for years, no food or no water, but when, you know, we're here, she survived a week. But can you imagine the pain she went through? No. If it only took a week... For her to die without, they, like, they had to have been giving her the smallest mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. Or just giving her food because they wanted her to just, appear, like, oh, yeah, she's one of the fasting girls. They had to have given it to her in small amounts so that she appeared emaciated. True. Yeah, that's true. Everyone stood by. The doctors, everyone, and saw that she was not doing well. And no one stopped it. But... I mean, it was her choice to not eat. They said that they would give her food if she asked Mm -hmm. for it, and she never asked for it. Yeah. You can't, well, I mean, I guess there's ways that they force people to eat now if someone's got an eating disorder, but, 
and which this is, but you see what I'm saying though. Yeah, for sure. But it's also like her parents were probably saying, you better not fucking ask for any food or any water because we have a lot of money riding on this. Oh, for sure. You know? Oh, I'm sure they were. And they probably didn't think it was going to go on for a week. They probably thought, oh, two days and we'll be back at home. You know, but everyone wants to be proven right. And unfortunately, people were proven wrong. And unfortunately, someone had to lose their life. Yeah. Yes. Like you said, this was an eating disorder because it became the beauty trend. It became, oh, you could be famous if you just don't eat. Mm -hmm. And again, it was tied with religion. It was tied with everything. And this wasn't the first time eating disorders were introduced or anything. But this really, like, when you're looking back on it, it's like, that's what happened. This is when it was, like, glorified and, Mm -hmm. yeah. So many of the fasting girls died or were found out to be a fraud. And again, that's just where the eating disorder becomes so, you don't think it could be deadly, but it can. But that is the fasting girls. That's the Brooklyn Enigma, aka Molly Fancher. I mean, she died kind of a mystery because she did have these ailments and then You know, people were saying she could only have this much food. She didn't. Then she had DID. Say the big word. Said it's... (laughs) Disassociative Identity Disorder. That's it. Well, obviously, I can't say other words. You're going to be my Google pronunciation. (laughs) We're in trouble then. (laughs) Let's not argue about it. (laughs) I feel like Molly's aunt, like, was stark comparison of Sarah Jacobs' parents. They were the ones being a leech onto this like they didn't care about their daughter's health they cared about their wealth mm-hmm. oh and that's something molly later when she woke up she was like no i knew everything that was happening to me like when you did the hydrotherapy when you did the electroshock therapy i felt every bit of that oh my gosh but she was in that trance-like state because they were trying to disprove too that okay like she's gonna she's gonna be like oh fuck this hurts And she's going to come out of her, like, sleeping. She's not going to act. But she was still in that coma. There was no reaction to it. But then she's saying, like, everyone's greatest fear, being trapped in their body without being able to express themselves, to express pain or anything like that. So it just breaks my heart because she had such a hard life. I'm glad, though, that Molly didn't only see her worth in whatever superpowers she had if those really were real because I feel like if she had been the person who wanted to be as they said a curiosity or whatever she would have made herself stay sick to have those powers Mm -hmm. but she didn't she was trying to get healthy amazing how this one trend completely changed the way we see people's bodies for Mm -hmm. hundreds of years yeah and I mean still to this day Because even though these were like the unhealthiest of the unhealthy because they were emaciated, they had no nutrients, etc. They were still viewed as healthy, beautiful beings. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, they were incredibly unhealthy. They're literally dying. Size doesn't equal health. Yeah. On both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if you're on my 600 pound life, you're not the pillar of health. I'm not saying that. But just because someone weighs 200 pounds doesn't mean that they're unhealthy. You can't tell anyone's health by just looking at them. And also, mind your own fucking business. You may worry about my health. You just don't want me to be big because you don't want to look at me. 
Yeah. You don't give a flying fuck about my health. Don't phrase it like that. Like when you see TikTokers or just anybody online and they're like, oh, you're glorifying obesity and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, one, they're just simply existing. So they're not. But also, and they'll be like, I'm just worried about your health. No, you're not. You're really not. You really don't care. You really just don't like fat people. Yeah. If you, you know, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not okay. Don't be an asshole. Don't pretend that it's because you're worried about my health. Yeah. So I watched this woman and I'm sure so many of y'all watch her. She is the queen of water talk. Her Mm -hmm. name is Tanya. It's like taking my life back at 42. Someone, cause she does like lives every morning while she does like some walks around her house and stuff like that. Well, this one lady had left a comment on the live and she's like, I love you. And I don't mean this in a negative way. You know, I'm saying this with love. And it was something about because she has a lot of loose skin from losing all the weight. And it was kind of like that dress didn't look good on you. Like you shouldn't have worn that because of your skin or whatever. And she's like, don't phrase it like that. You can have your opinion, whatever. But like, don't say you are coming like, I love you. I look up to you. I admire you. And I'm doing this out of love. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not. So don't phrase it like that because you don't love me. Right. You don't care about any of this. Man, I've been on some tangents today. You have. It's been a while. I needed to flex my muscles a little. Mm. Yeah, you love to argue. Mm -hmm. If y'all have not noticed, I know like everyone else probably has, but like if you're new and this is the first episode you're listening to, yes, Carrie says, are you? No G in it. But yet she'll argue me down about how I say words. (laughs) Look. Have a friend for 30 years, they said. (laughs) You will argue about everything. (laughs) If you want to know all of your weird nuances, get a podcast. Oh, fuck, yeah. You know what my new thing I've noticed that I say all the time at work now? Basically? That. And I say, and then we'll go from there. Like, do this, and then we'll go from there. That is my new go-to phrase. Well, you know, I used to not say all the things all the time. Like, that was more your thing. And then I took it over, and it's become a beast of all of all the things. <laughs> I can't help it. I mean, this, this, and all the things. Well, y'all let us know what y'all say wrong. Tell us what you think about our uh, apology argument. Oh, God. And if this is your first time listening, we don't always argue like this. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> We're just... It's just a special time of the year. Just kidding, it's not. <laughs> Karen's going to go back and be like, okay, on the episode guide that she has over us, she's going to be like, and this is when they argued, this is it, this is it. This was a big one. They're all going to be like denoted with an asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, are these don't consume raw meat? No, they argued. <laughs> <Don't consume> <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how they do that on menus? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. You but- and your niche humor. <laughs> you know somebody understands me thank y'all so much for listening don't forget to like subscribe review and all the things (laughs) basically and remember creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared